You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, last week, Chris O'Brien was not here. He was on special assignment. In fact, one of our listeners posted a message in the forum complimenting us on the show we did with James Renner, the book It Came From Ohio, and remarking how quiet Chris was. <laughs> I mean, you were silent as a mouse. Yeah, oh yeah, I definitely was. Unfortunately, I was traveling when we did the taping, so uh, that kind of left me out of the loop, Gene. Sorry I wasn't there, but uh, I hear it was a good show and good job. I think we had a lot of fun with it. And I was especially interested in how far we took this story of Dale Spar, the police officer who back in the 1960s, he and a fellow officer chased a UFO from Ohio to Pennsylvania. And this is, of course, featured in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And his life was completely ruined after that. Yeah. It's toxic. It kind of sticks to you once uh, you latch onto it. I tell you, it does. Even discussions, having sane discussions on UFOs can be difficult. And I can give you examples of that. I don't know if I want to or not. But we had quite a debate here with regard to the recent appearance of Ted Rowe from NARCAP on the show. And NARCAP is a very straight-laced organization investigating unidentified aerial phenomena. They do not call it UFOs. And I understand the point there because the word, the label, UFO, is toxic. And thus, they're trying to divorce themselves from the baggage of that term. But one of our forum members, who will go unmentioned, was really ragging on him. To a point where he's even reluctant to even come back on the show, which is unfortunate. It's just badgering him. It's like this whole game of semantics uh, with some of our posters, uh, Randall in particular, gets a little old. I mean, it's pretty rare that we have a guest that's willing to you know, follow up their appearance on the show and entertain questions and answer uh, questions and you know, post comments about uh, their thinking about, in this case, Ted Rose's uh, involvement with NARCAP. And, you know, you have to give the guy uh, some slack here, I think, and and really not get into a, a debate over simple terminology and just minutia. Uh, I think it's important for us to attract guests to the forum, not scare them away or or badger them. You know, part of it is here that when people participate in forums and it gives a person a measure of anonymity, even if you know their real name, and they feel that they can say things they will not say in a public surrounding. But this is private because it's between them and the computer. They don't realize that when you post a message online, in someone's forum, in a blog, hundreds, thousands, millions of people may read what you have to say. I think you see situations, for example, where criminals post what they're doing in Facebook and wonder why the police caught them. Well, I mean, come on. That's about as stupid as you can get. I mean, can you spell idiot? But I think the key here is the awareness of what you're doing and taking advantage of the so-called privacy to basically become another person. I mean, I've known people who have been really nasty in the forums, but you talk to them on the phone or something, and they're very nice. I won't mention one particular person who 
did a lot of snide personal attacks against me and has done it with Chris, and he's no longer in the forums, therefore he isn't mentioned. But the key is here, if you talk to the guy on the phone, he's really a pleasant guy, pleasant gentleman. Yeah, pussycat. Real pussycat. But as soon as he gets into the forums, it's like he becomes Mr. Hyde. No. There's something about being in a forum where your inner hate is that what it is? Well, I, I think a good a good word would be emboldened. Is that part of the online world that's the bad part? I know in the UFO field, there's no difference because people were debating and yelling at each other with personal letters, with newsletters. They'd attack each other. So now they simply take it online. So all that flame, all that vitriol becomes an online phenomenon. But it's already been here. Well, well that, that kind of brings to mind uh, an interesting conundrum that the uh, UFO field might have to endure here. And that is the loss of Jim Mosley and Saucer Smear. We need a, a new Saucer Smear. We need a UFO tattler so people can get their yayas out for their own particular audience. And we can take the high ground for discussions on shows like this, where we're attempting to educate people and attract interest in a field that's dying on the vine. And I think getting caught up in the definition of terminology and, well, you said this, which means this. I said this, which means that. This tit-for-tat thing just doesn't work. It doesn't, it, it's not fruitful for, you know, expansive dialogue, for sharing points of view, for educating people you know ted Rowe is is you know doing a thankless job along with quite a number of other people over at narcap and i i think we we need to acknowledge the job that they're doing and get past our our little pet peeves about how certain terms are are used i don't care if it's uap aao ufo um actually i do care if it's ufo it's toxic it turns people off who are not directly involved in this phenomenon. And uh, to be an apologist or, or somehow uh, uh, an unelected representative for a particular term is, um, I, I think, a little presumptuous. And, um, you know, we need to get beyond that. We need to establish commonality, grounds that we can all agree on and move forward instead of all this getting caught up in minutiae stuff, Gene, it, it, it's not productive. I know the personalities always reign supreme. Like, if you look up my name and you look up the nasty stuff, people say all sorts of horrible things about me. They say horrible things about, of course, Chris. About me, there's a matter of fact... Wait some- a minute. Hold on. I... Oh, time out. Go ahead. Find na- nasty stuff that people say about me online. And a pristine um level of credibility and and level of uh how would i put this um respect well you know what i think the one about you speaking with marbles in your mouth or chewing tobacco or something i don't know that was pretty crazy but here's the thing there's also a photograph of me that somebody made a composite in photoshop and they did something to my face that i can't even conceive and they put a suit on me now, as Chris knows, I never wear a suit. So somebody felt that they can attack me more if they have me wearing a suit. 
So I don't know. Maybe they watch that TV show Suits too often. Oh, well. Let's try and talk sense here. But maybe one thing we could consider here is maybe on the Paracast, we should consider not using UFOs, but then we'd have to educate every guest who wants to use that term. So maybe that doesn't work. I don't know. Speaking of UFOs, we're back to UFOs this week. And we have Kevin Randall, who's a longtime UFO investigator focused on Roswell and a lot of other cases. In fact, on his blog, he writes about MJ-12 this week. I'm going to ask him about that. But he has a new book out called The Government UFO Files, The Conspiracy of Cover-Up. Oh, yeah? This will be fun. Now, things have changed in our world from the way it used to be. And that is, at one time, we actually believed the government maybe knew what they were doing. And they were competent, even if they were maybe keeping UFO information a secret. But now we see the government is totally incompetent. You know, we look at the controversy over, for example, the VA. And, of course, Kevin is a veteran. So certainly he has lots of insights into that. And we wonder here, and this is what I wonder, if the government's so incompetent, how do they keep the secret of UFOs a secret for over 60 years? Lots of questions to ask. The Government UFO Files is the book. Kevin Randall's the author. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. First game attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTOWL for a special discount. Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686. 2237 extension 129 Moms of America stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again I pledge to stop letting my daughter walk all over me I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again 
because I'm not. I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom. I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X dot com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM1 from Terraganics. Life's getting better. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I'm very happy to introduce an old friend back again with his latest book. Boy, he just keeps turning them out. You know, not as many as Nick Redfern, or actually totally, maybe he's written more over the years, but his latest, Kevin Randall's book, is The Government UFO Files, The Conspiracy of Cover-Up. And before we go on, let me just ask you a question, Kevin. More and more now, we're seeing how incompetent the government is. And as a veteran, you understand this with the VA and all the problems in terms of health care for veterans. So when we look at the problems they're having, how can we expect the government to be able to keep a secret about UFO reality for over 60 years? But they haven't kept a secret. We keep talking about it. We keep finding documents. And just to, just to plug the book, uh, the whole premise is I was able to find lots of documentation that leads us from the Foo Fighters to the Ghost Rockets to the Flying Discs of 1947 to comments made by government officials about UFOs in the 1950s. There's a thread that connects it all together. And I was able to find it through government files and government documents. So the secret hasn't been kept. We just uh, haven't put it all together, or the, the, the topic itself is now considered part of the lunatic fringe, no matter how serious you might be, and so you can't get the legitimate journalistic community to take a look at what you're doing, because they're too smart to believe in alien visitation. So they uh, succeed by being incompetent. <laughs> or in some cases, extremely competent, by seeming incompetent. Exactly. I, I remember, I, I remember in the 1970s hearing about how incompetent the CIA was, and I got to thinking, what a brilliant cover for them. Everybody thinks they're a bunch of bungling idiots, and 
that is the kind of cover you'd want for a spy agency because nobody's going to take you seriously, and you can do all kinds of stuff that way. So yeah, I think I, I think part of the incompetence may be a, a clever ruse to keep us looking elsewhere. Yeah, and their new term for us now is the black helicopter crowd. I'm sure you appreciate that one. Uh, and, and there's no evidence of the black helicopters. You know, I, I, I remember a woman saying that the black helicopters hovered over her house all the time, and she showed us pictures of them. And you see helicopters silhouetted against the sun, so they looked very dark. But you could see color. They weren't black helicopters. And it turned out there was a heliport like three miles from her house. So they weren't circling her looking for something. They were landing at the heliport. So they were dark gray helicopters. Or dark green helicopters, or maybe bright white ones silhouetted against the sun, so they look dark. Yeah, any helicopter against the, if you're underneath it, looking up against the blue sky, is going to appear silhouetted and dark. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, as a helicopter pilot, I understand how helicopters work and, and the missions they have and all of that sort of thing. So, uh, And I know that you can hover at great altitudes in a helicopter if you so desire, but you have to be careful. But it's all... I think I think a lot of that comes from misperceptions and misidentifications, but it plays into a conspiracy that some people want to believe in. And once you play into that conspiracy, uh, you get a lot of followers. Well, you know, since we're on the uh, subject of helicopters and you're uh, being a helicopter pilot, you're a perfect person, I think, to ask this question of. I saw I remember back in the late 90s, a McDonnell Douglas uh, commercial. Uh, that featured a silent helicopter, and and it was very well done. I mean, obviously, with video technology, you can you can suggest and and kind of create any any sort of scenario. But where do you come down on noise cancellation technology? I mean, what is the state of the art for silent helicopter technology? There there are some problems that you have, and it's the same thing you have with jet aircraft. The rotor blades are basically spinning very, very fast and, and can break the sound barrier. That creates sound. And, and as you're flying along, we used to, we used to do that uh, if we were flying over a city where somebody knew, we knew somebody would be looking up at us, uh, you know, friends or family, we could, we could make the blades pop so that that you know, would call additional attention to us by loading up the blades and descending uh, quickly or all kinds of things we could do is make the blades pop. So you've got to cancel out the noise of the engine. You've got to cancel out the noise of the blades. And our technologies probably allow us to do a great deal of that sort of thing, so they're a lot quieter than they used to be. But most of the helicopters out flying around today wouldn't have that technology, and that would be a technology you'd want to use on covert missions and things like that so the bad guys can't hear you coming. And, and, and that was one of the reasons in Vietnam we would fly at treetop level because by the time the sound reached the bad guys, We'd already overflown them because we were so darn low and moving so fast. So there's all kinds of things going on there. But I, I you know, the the technology for sound cancellation, we we keep improving that so things get quieter and quieter. But there's uh, the technology is still used very very sparingly uh, on on I would think black operations and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to cancel out prop noise. Uh, the sound of a almost a hypersonic a blade slicing through the air is going to create a sound. Yes, yes. Regardless of the sound, and maybe it's overlooked, do we find situations frequently where people misidentify helicopters as possible UFOs? Well, if we believe the Air Force, yes, we do. And I think specifically of the Loring Air Force 
based cases, which coincidentally is covered in the book. But the Air Force, the Air Force decided because some of the witnesses on the ground reported the, air, the, the object hovering, that it must in fact be a helicopter. And so you've got um, Air Force personnel who were within 100 yards of the thing reporting it hovering, but they couldn't identify it as a helicopter. It's over the weapon storage facility at Loring Air Force Base, which means it's in violation of federal regulations. It's, the Air Force would have been uh, justified in shooting at it, knocking it down, but none of that takes place. So when you look at the investigation, the Air Force doesn't call it UFOs or anything like that. It says unidentified helicopters who have uh, penetrated our airspace, yet there's no evidence that they followed up on it to find out who these guys were violating the law, uh, which is something you would think the Air Force would do if it was a helicopter hovering over their their installation. So yeah. I, I, you know, by looking at the files, the government... No, we, see, we see that in Mounts. Uh, more, so, more so at Loring, because... You know, the, the, because they put out a document that's talked about the unidentified helicopters. And, of course, Phil Class and everybody said, well, uh, it was a helicopter, and here's the report the Air Force filed on it, yet it doesn't make any sense because the lighting doesn't work. Uh, the guys were close enough to see it as a helicopter if it was. They heard no noise. The helicopter was low enough it would have been hovering at what we call ground effect which means the the um, air is coming down through the rotor blades and fanning out along the ground, and that kind of keeps it up, but it's also blowing up a lot of dust and debris, and there's no evidence of that either. The guys didn't talk about any of that, that sort of thing. So the idea that it was a, a low-flying helicopter is preposterous. And class said, well, I found these guys were flying a helicopter uh, some three weeks afterwards in a, a location 120 miles away. Well, yeah, that explains the case then, Phil. <laughs> that, you know, that, that, that was where the skeptics went. Well, it was a helicopter, uh, they said so, and, and we're done with it. That's what the Air Force explanation was. Well, it clearly was not. Well, live it also is the noise factor. You can't have the silent helicopter, as you mentioned before. The book is called The Government UFO Files, and the guy responsible is Kevin D. Randall, and so much more to come. I'm Gene Steinberg with Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. G-C-N. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? 
How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE, 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. At 30dayfoodsupply.com, you can now purchase a one-of-a-kind product not available anywhere else. A meatless burger dry mix in four delicious flavors. With our new Oregon Trail Foods vegan burgers, all you do is add water and fry. They need no refrigeration. They're packaged in Mylar bags with an oxygen absorber for a long shelf life. They're non-GMO. They're gluten, soy, nut, and chemical-free, but they're loaded with flavor. And a good source of carbs and protein, yet low in sodium. Flavors include Italian, spicy Mexican, six vegetable and black bean olive go to 30dayfoodsupply.com or call 541-229-0010 and order today eat them every day take them camping or save them for an emergency check them out at 30dayfoodsupply.com and click on the vegan burger icon that's 30dayfoodsupply.com where all of our products are produced in oregon by oregon trail foods 30dayfoodsupply.com The human body is extraordinary. Despite all the stresses we inflict upon it, it still works hard to stay in balance. Thousands upon thousands of people rely upon heart and body extract to help their body stay balanced. This excellent 100% natural herbal formula helps maintain healthy blood pressure levels, cleans arteries, promotes good circulation, balances cholesterol, and more. HB extract paired with healthy lifestyle choices like good nutrition and exercise can give you a life free of pain, sickness, and fear. Recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of hb extract it's extremely effective and it starts working in just days visit hbextract.com to learn more and to read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers and we've never increased our price in over 10 years that makes heart and body extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it a healthy heart is a happy heart call 866-295-5305 or go to hbextract.com Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Kevin Randall rejoins us. We're always happy to have him back. He's got so much important to state. Now, earlier we wait, were talking wait, wait. about... Can I, can I interrupt for just a minute? Because you mentioned Nick Redfern writing, writing a lot of UFO books. Yeah. I will tell you the leader of publishing UFO books is either Brad Steiger or me. And Brad Steiger and I talk about this. We're not sure who it is. But we lead at the moment with Nick Redfern making a real run to catch up. Well, he figures I, that he's younger than you guys. So he figures, I think Brad Steiger's like 107. I think he's 112 <laughs> now. I haven't talked to him much lately, but I think he's 112. And he's done, what, 165 books overall? Some big number, but I remember reading one of his first books, Strangers from the Skies, when I was in high school. Yeah, yeah. So the guy's been writing UFO books since we were all kids. 50 years. Yes, yes. 
And then there's you know, guys like me that write 600 page books that could be four of Nick's. <laughs> well, there there is that too, and and the government files book is pretty thick. Uh, it's it's much longer than I think one of Nick's books. Which is not to say I don't enjoy Nick's books. I probably ought to plug Nick's books while I'm at it, you know. I guess I read them too, so. Well, he'll be on the show in two weeks, so you might as well. Yeah, but your his, book uh, is. Encounters well, of the Fatal Kind is very good too. But your book is 354 pages plus cover. It's a larger size than the normal book, a large trade paperback. Yes. And your text is pretty small. Yes, so I have to read it with magnifying glass being old and decrepit. No, I just made that up. Okay. Well, now what's happened, of course, because we were talking about the blogosphere and about how people involved in UFO research are constantly attacked. And we figure now they'll think of that attack that you just created for yourself. They'll take your words out of context. But let's go back to... Which, which words are they going to attack me for now for crying in a bucket? I don't know. Whatever I said you say. Nick Redfern writes a lot of books and I read them myself. He ought to be happy with that. And the blogosphere can <laughs> have at it, I guess. Oh, no. Now, boys, 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 let's not get started here. All in good fun. Let's go back to the black helicopters. Okay. So how did that thing get started? Is there a beginning of that black helicopter legend? I blame Chris O'Brien. How's that? (laughs) With with the cattle mutilations in the 70s, they started with the helicopters. Well, I, I blame Jim Keith for writing the first book. Black Helicopters Over America is the first hey, real would, book, to my knowledge. Well, there we go. Well, back back in the olden days when I was flying for the Iowa National Guard in the early 1970s, and, and there was a lot of cattle rustling going on, and we were <laughs> a group, uh, 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 we had a formation of helicopters, and I forget what we were doing, and uh, somebody called over the radio and says, uh, you're not going to believe this, but we're taking fire. And, I mean, we were all Vietnam veterans, so we were used to that. And it was some farmer down there with a shotgun shooting at us because he thought we were trying to rustle cattle. And I thought, I said, well, we should return fire for fire received because we were flying gunships because we didn't have the guns and we didn't have uh, any ammunition, so we couldn't return fire. But I thought that would be kind of fun. Well, it happened. Uh, Actually, uh, helicopters were reported firing back at ranchers and a team on the ground in one incident actually joined in with the helicopter and started uh, firing from a different position at the uh, at the beleaguered rancher. And uh, you mentioned Iowa in 72. I mean, you forget to mention that hundreds and hundreds of animals were being reported stolen in yes. Russell. Oh, yes. I, I, the, the ranchers were, were clearly, and farmers were clearly right in their paranoia about the rustling going on because it was, in fact, going on. But I will say this, unequivocally, the Iowa National Guard never fired back at the ranchers. Well, yeah, and I would expect that that would be the case. Uh, but you were flying at a little higher altitude for a while. We, uh, in Vietnam, we, we, his, we usually flew at 1,500 feet, which was basically 1,500 feet AGL above the ground, uh, which was in small arms range, just outside of small arms range, but inside 50 caliber range. That was normally where we flew in between point A and point B. But if we were doing other stuff, we were getting much closer to the ground, too. So sometimes speed and terrain masking helped us out. Yeah, it's tough to hide in Iowa. It's not nearly as flat as you might think. And it's certainly not as bad as Nebraska. Yeah, well, that's By driving Interstate 80 across Nebraska someday. (laughs) Yeah, I've done it many times, and it takes half a day. (laughs) And it's really, really boring. Especially back in the 80s when the speed limit was 55. 
and and you didn't have satellite radio so that you had to keep searching for radio stations to listen to. <laughs> well, now that's why we had satellite radio for the truck drivers and the people driving across these barren desert landscapes. Yes, yes. I won't even mention. I won't even mention what what, what is it, uh, Interstate seventy between Grand Junction and uh, Interstate fifteen across Utah. Well, it's been years since I hit the interstates in the Midwest. Let's move to other topics here. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, no more black helicopters. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no black helicopters except the one that I see right now flying above my head. No, that's the ceiling. Excuse me. But I got to fix those holes in the ceiling, you know. All right. Anyway, there's a piece you have over at your famous, your world-famous blog, A Different Perspective called MJ-12, The Beginning. And you're referring here to an Open Minds article analyzing MJ-12. And this has been one of those lingering controversies from the 1980s that never dies, that there was a secret agency called MJ-12 involved in connection with UFOs. We have these documents unearthed by William Moore and others regarding MJ-12. So what insights can you offer looking back at that in the 21st century? Well, it's interesting you should mention that blog post because I put it up like an hour and a half ago. You see how fast we are here? We have a team of researchers called RSS. You know what that is. Go ahead. Anyway, um, Alejandro Rojas had done a uh, piece uh, by foying, attempting to FOIA information about MJ-12. From, from the Air Force and various government agencies. And um, he was attempting to trace the beginnings as some of, some people may not have understood how it came about or what was going on. Some of the, the things that he mentioned in the piece were little-known facts about um, the Eisenhower briefing document, uh, Richard Doty's role in, it, role in it, his connection to Bill Moore, the uh, attempts to... Um, Push some of this information on Linda Moulton Howe, uh, the the attempts to uh, push some of the information on uh, uh, Benowitz, who was a scientist living in the Albuquerque area at the time, who thought he was uh, recording um, messages from from outer space. Although I think the 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 idea now is that he was he'd actually tapped into some kind of uh, low frequency communications between various government agencies, military organizations, and so they were attempting to lead him astray in that, at least according to Doty. So Alejandro's in his article looks at all of that sort of thing um, and, and bringing all of that sort of into perspective for those who may not have been that um, keyed into what the beginnings of MJ-12. And what I did was I just added a couple of um, points I thought were important, one of which was Bill Moore saying to a number of researchers in 1980-1981 that he'd run into this roadblock, this blank wall he couldn't break through on his Roswell research, and he was thinking about creating some kind of a Roswell document that would help him. The idea being, I guess, showing it to some reluctant witnesses to show that, yeah, we have this information, what do you make of it, or convincing other people to talk. And lo and behold, not, not too long after that, his friend, Jamie Shandera, receives the MJ-12 documents on... Um, undeveloped 35 millimeter film. And the other thing that I 
I found, you know, Friedman, Friedman told me that while we were in California, he now denies he said it, but there were other people who heard that story from, from more or more, you know, bouncing the idea off them. So it's just not me saying that without any kind of corroborative evidence that story is out there. And, and I put a couple of links up to other articles that mention the same sort of thing. One, unfortunately, in linking to Phil Class, which I hesitated to put up, but it just shows that information coming from other researchers as well. Let's do the break here and we'll continue Okay. with MJ-12. Kevin Randall with Gene and with Chris. You're in the Paracast. We are America's largest independently owned communications network, GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hey everyone, have you heard about the no-no hair removal device that's sweeping the globe? If you want to go weeks without shaving and get smooth, professional quality results, here's our favorite host Cheryl for no-no hair removal. Thanks. Hey gals, I love talking about my no-no. It's this cute little hair removal system that you can take with you and use almost anywhere at home or on the road. No more expensive in-office treatments, painful waxing, and no more wasting your valuable time. Got unwanted facial hair? No-no has patented Thermacon technology that works on all hair and skin colors. So it's perfect for using on all body parts. And now you can take advantage of this incredible risk-free trial. Get the no-no, the facial kit, a travel case, and a $100 discount shopping card. And you don't risk a penny to try it. Try the incredible no-no hair completely risk-free. Call 1-800-953-6062. That's 800-953-6062. 800-953-6062. If you need to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, thank you, or simply I'm thinking of you, ProFlowers.com is the key. ProFlowers has stunning bouquets, like the best-selling 100 blooms for $19.99. Plus, ProFlowers will include a glass vase for free. Sending someone a wonderful surprise of beautiful flowers sent fresh from the field is easy. Choose the bouquet you like, pick the delivery date, and each order is 100% guaranteed. Plus, all bouquets from Pro Flowers are guaranteed to last at least seven full days. Beautiful, fragrant flowers, picked fresh and sent to your loved one for lasting enjoyment. To get this incredible savings and send someone 100 gorgeous blooms with a free vase for $19.99, go to ProFlowers.com, click the blue microphone in the top right corner, and enter code PLOW. That's ProFlowers.com. Click the mic and enter code P-L-O-W. 
Ouch! My back is out again. Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit DrOrtman.com. That's Dr. O-R-T-M-A-N.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, chiropractic done right. Southern, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. Chris is now trying to sound like a roll of film, 35 millimeter film from the 1980s. <sighs> film, boy, those were the yeah. days. Kevin Randall is reacquainting us with the legend of MJ 12 that never goes away. Continue, please. And I certainly wish it would. I think it should be a footnote to the history of UFOs, and we should move on from that. The other thing that's interesting is the story originally broke was broken by Timothy Good in Great Britain, and he had the documents. He went to a newspaper there, and they published them, and they show up in his book, Above Top Secret, which I think was a copyright date of 1988. But on the, the copies that he prints in his book, there's this uh, chevron-like marking, uh, three, three stripes, that floats on the pages. It shows up in various pages places on the pages which suggest it's an artifact created by that specific copy machine as opposed to something that was on the the original film. And interestingly enough, that same Chevron shows up in copies that Bill Moore had. So Bill Moore's got the original documents, so he doesn't need a Xerox copy, but it's clear that the Xerox copies that Good had came from Moore because Moore's copies of Xerox copies have that same artifact in different locations. So it's a floating artifact. It's obviously from that specific copier, it's a fingerprint. So we can trace all the MJ-12 documents back to Bill Moore, including those that, that Timothy Good had. So I, I, you know, I mentioned that as sort of, uh, I, I guess, additional information that Antonio Rojas had, had produced in his 30-minute uh, piece on YouTube about MJ-12 in the beginning. So we can look at this, and we see that it all relates back to Bill Moore and Jamie Chandray. And in fact, there was a document called the Aquarius Telex, and I think I think Antonio mentions this as well, which mentions MJ-12 on it. But what we learn by looking at that is it is a retyped version of an authentic document that came from the OSI. And Bill Moore admitted to Dick Hall that he retyped it. He said the copy he had was so poor you couldn't read it. So what he did was he retyped it and pasted on the heading so it would have the look of an official document. So we can trace a fake document, the Aquarius Telex, back to Bill Moore. And when I queried both Stan Friedman and um, Ryan Wood about the Aquarius Telex, they, uh, they never answered my questions about it. Uh, I said, you know, uh, Friedman said that he doesn't even mention it in his book. And I'm thinking, here's the first document that ever was released into a public arena that mentions MJ-12, and it's a known hoax, and it's admitted hoax, but we just sort of ignore that, um, that whole thing. 
Okay, well, there's an obvious implication here, and let me just drop it by you, which is that if these things are fake, William Moore had some connection with that? I think the evidence is becoming overwhelming that Bill Moore had some kind of connection with that. Bill Moore um, committed ufological suicide in 1989 at a, a conference in Las Vegas where he suggested he'd been working as part of a disinformation campaign to leak false information into the UFO community. And from that point on, he's been pretty well a pariah in the UFO field. But he also talks about, and and, uh, there's good evidence from Barry Greenwood and Brad Sparks, that Moore working with Bob Pratt, and Bob Pratt being an innocent bystander in this, were producing a book in 1980 that mentions MJ-12, that mentions this whole sort of thing. It was called, and the original title was Project Aquarius. So this is like four years before the documents show up in Jamie Shandera's uh, mailbox, but it's more talking about this whole sort of thing using the same sort of terminology. The dating format goes right back to Bill Moore because it's an unusual dating format, but it shows up in the MJ-12 documents. I think it all links back to Bill Moore pretty clearly as the guy who uh, created the documents and created them because he w- thought it was a good idea at the time. A good idea at the time. Maybe he thought he was bringing out his inner Gray Barker and Jim Mosley. I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I, I can kind of understand it if you're if you're trying to convince reluctant witnesses to talk to you and you have a document that pretty well tells the story that they might be they might be more willing to speak about these secrets. Although those of us who are clever enough would know that 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 wouldn't work on some people, but it would yeah, work. Yeah, you're other being people. a little too kind there. Well, I, I, when I was doing uh, some research into the Washington Nationals, I think it was Al Chop, who was the Air Force liaison, civilian public affairs guy in the Pentagon in 1952, was telling me about the Washington Nationals and that the, one of the sightings had gotten pretty hairy. And I said, well, can you tell me about it? He said, nah, I really can't. Well, Dewey Fournay, who was running the UFO desk in the Pentagon at the time, was in the same room with, with Chop when this all took place. So I was talking to Dewey Fournay, and I, said, and I said, well, you know, I was talking to Al Chop, and he talked about this one sighting that got pretty hairy, and Fournay told me all about it, because I had that one little piece of evidence or information I could share with him. You know, Al Chop told me that one of the sightings got pretty hairy, and, and Dewey Fournay thought I knew everything, so he was just confirming, confirming the information. So, you know, that sort of thing works. But creating a false document, what you end up risking is when it is exposed as being fraudulent, you've pretty well negated all the research that you've done up to that point, especially if you're the creator. If you've fallen for the document, not quite as deadly as having created the document yourself. What bothers me also here is um, people like Stanton Friedman, who should know better, is still maintaining that at least some of these MJ-12 documents are genuine. Or has he changed? No, no. And, and I, I pointed out to him that I think there's a fatal flaw in the, in the uh, Eisenhower briefing document, and it's this uh, alleged crash that took place on December 6, 1950, according to the MJ-12 document, and it's based on the testimony of a guy who claimed to be an Air Force colonel and a fighter pilot, and I discovered the guy was probably not in the Air Force, was not a fighter pilot. His military experience was as a low-ranking enlisted man from uh, for about 13 months in the late 40s, but his military career was mainly made up of being in the Civil Air Patrol, which is a civilian organization. And so if that 
paragraph is bogus based on this story that was made up in 1968, you've now negated the entire Eisenhower briefing document because clearly it was something created long after 1952 when it was supposedly written. It was created sometime after 1968 when this guy started telling this bogus tale. <sighs> the, the, the point was, Stan said to me, I was probably right about the guy, but I was wrong about the MJ-12 document. This is never going to end. I mean, you can't oh. give a good hoax down. This is part of the problem in the UFO field now, why so many people call it toxic, which is that when you take a piece of information and you demonstrate for once and for all, that piece of information has no reality to it. It's a fake. It's a composite, whatever. It never disappears. I was joking, for example, in the first part of the show before you came on, that there's a composite picture of me online. Somebody took my face and manipulated it. That didn't make me look bad. You know, maybe it looks better. Some people might think so. And because I don't wear a suit, they had me wearing a suit. They put a suit on me in Photoshop. Now, that picture will never be taken down. It's an obvious fake. And I could say to Google or anyone, hey, this is a fake picture of me. Take it down. They're not going to do it. Well, even if they even let's say let's say Google says, OK, it's fake. We're going to take it down. Somebody else is going to post it somewhere else. And, 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 and anytime you, you, you suggest someone's favorite case might be bogus, MJ-12, for example, suddenly you're not a researcher, you're a debunker. Right. <laughs> uh, and and, that's, and let's, let's splash that mud all over. You're a debunker, therefore I'm not going to listen to anything you say. No matter what evidence you present showing that your uh, analysis is accurate, you're, you're a debunker. And there's one guy that um, uh, chases me on, on uh, Amazon, and no matter what book I publish, he, pub he, he always puts up a negative review. He gives it one star and a negative review, and it's clear he's, he's reacting to two words, which is Kevin Randall on the book. He hasn't read the book. Apparently, I've offended him, and he believes that I'm nothing but a debunker. And so he always puts that in, in the reviews of, of the book. So, you know, there's, there's, there's really nothing you can do. And the, the other thing about the reviews on Amazon that cracked me up, they're anonymous. You don't have to put your name. You can create a fake ent ent name. And, and so I can say anything I want about anybody, and there's nothing you can do about it because I'm hidden behind this anonymous name I created. Yes, but Amazon knows the name, and if you complain to Amazon... They will sometimes take it down. I've seen some really offensive reviews for some things I've written. And it's obvious it's a personal attack. They'll take it down because it's well, not fair to you or to anybody. If somebody wants to buy a copy of a book and get a sense of it, like Chris wrote the book Stalking the Herd. And most people like it. I think one, he had only one negative review out of all of it, which is amazing. Because in this crazy world, in this polarized world, there are lots of different opinions. But some of these reviews, it is a game. And sometimes you can get them to take down the fake ones. Kevin Randall is talking about the government UFO files and other stuff with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
Henry Ford once said, a man who stops advertising to save money is like a man who stops a clock to save time. Alex Castle here, the national account executive at GCN. I have the ability to customize a national radio campaign based on your budget while targeting your demographic. Contact me to find out how national radio can help your business be more profitable at 877-996-4327, extension 177. That's 877-996-4327, extension 177, and help me help you bring your business to the next level. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Springtime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know spring is the time to stock up at HerbalHealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for spring specials, including our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, Hootia and Metabolic Complex, and ProMetabolic, all on sale now. Also, the Anti-Parasite Intestinal Freedom and Warwood Plus Complex, plus Stevia Liquid Sweetener and the Super Enzymes, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and click on Spring Specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is the Paracast. Kevin Randall joins us. We're always happy to have him on because he's a wealth of information. Now, in researching the government UFO files... Did you find any particular cases or legends or anything that you thought may have been true, but this research showed otherwise? Well, there's one that that springs to mind immediately, and it's only because it's here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I was looking for stories of people reporting a disc-shaped object prior to Arnold in June 24, 1947, because the skeptic argument is the idea of a uh, disc-shaped, a flying saucer, came from a misunderstanding of what Arnold had said. He wasn't describing the shape of the objects. He was describing their motion as a, a saucer skipping across the pond. So the skeptical argument says everybody was seeing flying saucers, even though the objects hadn't been saucer-shaped. So I was looking for any stories that I could document prior to Arnold talking about disc-shaped. And if we go back further enough in history, we could do it. But there was a story in a number of places I found it, about a railroad engineer in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, walking along and seeing 10 disc-shaped objects fly overhead, and it was published in the newspaper on June 23rd, the day before Arnold. I thought, this is a great story, and I looked at Dick Hall's um, UFO evidence, and it was in there, and it says June 23rd, and I found a couple of other places, and I could find some footnotes for it that led me back to 1956. 
but I couldn't find anything earlier that in the, in the, in the books. And I thought, you know, I live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I'll just go down and look to the newspaper file. So I, I went down to the uh, library. I discovered there were actually two newspapers in Cedar Rapids at the time. One was a weekly and didn't publish on June 23rd, so that was pretty well out. And I was looking at the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and I read the entire June 23rd newspaper, and the story was not there. I couldn't find it. I found the Arnold story like two or three days later, and in the same newspaper with the Arnold story, I found a reference to the engineer story in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, except it wasn't Cedar Rapids. It was Joliet in Illinois. He didn't say anything about it until a couple of days after Arnold, so there was no documentation prior to it, and it was a single witness case. But looking at what I thought of as fairly good references, Dick Hall's UFO evidence, he hadn't chased it back to the ultimate source, which was the Cedar Rapids Gazette. I actually I, I found the story. So that was one where the research took me, and I could do it because I lived in Cedar Rapids, and I could see that the story appeared in the newspaper, but it did not appear on June 23rd, which would have been a wonderful bit of evidence had we been able to, to corroborate it. So there were things like that that went wrong. doesn't mean the story wasn't true. It just means I couldn't hold it up as, a, as a, you know, here's a story published in the newspaper prior to Arnold talking about a dish-shaped object. It was after Arnold talking about it. I, I believe it happened on the same day, and I think I know what happened. is Frank Edwards thought that the day it happened was a day earlier. I mean, it was like on Wednesday, I think it was June 24th in 1947. And I think Edwards thought it, it happened on Tuesday, the day before, based on what the newspaper article said. And so he thought it was June 23rd and, and didn't realize that the paper had actually been published three or four days after Arnold. So that was one thing, and it's not a major discovery, but what it does is suggest we need to verify our information from the original sources as opposed to looking at other sources, other, other UFO books, where they, they don't document where what the source came from. And, and early UFO books, as you know, they didn't bother with footnotes or any of that sort of thing. And I think Frank Edwards basically wrote from memory, and he didn't check his facts, so he got things slightly askew. Uh, but it doesn't mean the stories aren't true. It just means we need to follow them to the ultimate source, the original source, if we can do so. Now, that's one thing I've noticed your last recent books, and that is that you take a story and you look at the source, and sometimes the story is sourced somewhere else. Somebody is quoting somebody who's quoting somebody. And sometimes the facts are fairly similar. Sometimes it's a completely different story. But I want to ask you that question then. In and around the time of the Arnold sighting, before or after, were there cases of UFOs seen in formation that were similar to what Arnold reported either before or after? One of the things that I was looking for, there was a, a number of sightings that came out of Richmond, Virginia, in March of 1947. That case is not in Project Blue Book. There are a number of cases in Blue Book prior to Arnold. They were reported after Arnold, obviously, but they, the, the information was gathered um, after Arnold. Here's a case that was supposedly reported to the guy's superiors uh, at the Weather Service prior to Arnold, and it's mentioned, it's, it, it's mentioned in various books. But the interesting thing is there's no case file in the Project Blue Book files, but if you go through the final report on Project Grudge, and you have to remember that the first original uh, official investigation was Sign, which evolved into Grudge, which evolved into Blue Book. And at the end of Grudge, they produced a 400, 500-page document about UFO sightings. 
And this sighting from the Weather Service in Richmond, Virginia, is mentioned in the Grudge Report. No case file, so you wonder where the case file went, what, what disappeared. But here would be a case where you've got stuff prior to Arnold talking about disc-shaped objects, but we can't find the case file because it was removed from Project Blue Book, which leads to another point, which is there's a guy named Howard McCoy, who was an intelligence officer at Wright Field in 1947. In the night, in the during World War II, he was an in, intelligence officer in Europe, and he's investigating the Foo Fighters. When you get to the Ghost Rockets from Sweden in 1946, you find this guy from the United States investigating the Ghost Rockets, and it's Howard McCoy, and he's gathering all this information about the Ghost Rockets. In December of 1946, McCoy is told to set up an unofficial investigation of these things, these strange aerial phenomenon, and it's based in a single room at Wright Field. Uh, the room is locked. He and two, three other guys have access to it, but they're gathering all this information, including the ghost rocket stuff. When Arnold sighting happens and they start the official investigations, all that information that they gathered prior to Arnold now disappears. There's virtually nothing about the ghost rockets in the Project Blue Book files but there should be because the information was gathered. So where'd all that information go? Yeah, really. Well, Jimmy Doolittle also went over there and investigated the ghost rockets, if I, I remember correctly. Yes, but, but see, Jimmy Doolittle was involved in the ghost rockets, but not in Project Sign and not in Project Grudge, nor was he involved with the Foo Fighters. The guy who was involved in all of that was Howard McCoy. So you've got a guy in World War II, they're looking at this very seriously because they're worried about it being some kind of an enemy uh, at an aircraft development. You know, they don't know whose it is, they don't know what's going on, but they're looking at it. When the war ends, nobody cares anymore because the war is over, and they find out that the Germans had the same concerns with the Foo Fighters. They were seen in the Pacific Theater, and the Japanese had the same concerns about the Foo Fighters, but the guy involved in all of that was Howard McCoy. So when you start with the ghost rockets, which everybody thought was some kind of a Soviet political attempt to intimidate the Swedes, for example, or the Scandinavians, and we find out now that, of course, that isn't true, but the guy investigating is Howard McCoy. So now the guy is involved in Foo Fighters and Ghost Rockets, and, and then the early flying disc stuff before Arnold, they're investigating these things in the United States. All that information has basically disappeared. So McCoy had it, and you wonder what happened to it. But McCoy is involved in that. And then when we get to the estimate of the situation that spawned Twining's letter that said the phenomenon is something real and not illusionary and fictitious. And then, of course, mentioned there was no crash-recovered debris, which everybody thinks rules out Roswell. But the thing is, who wrote the letter? Howard McCoy. He wrote it in response to the specific information that was handed to them. It was like 16 or 18 cases for this small estimate of the situation. And he writes the letter that sets up Project Sign. It's Howard McCoy who does that. He's a string that connects all this stuff together and shows how we were led down the path to where we are today. So basically, there is no record that you can access of similar sightings ahead of Arnold's. There is some stuff. It's much earlier. There's some Foo Fighters stuff. You have to remember the Foo Fighters were basically balls of light that they saw, but there are some very good sightings where they were disc-shaped objects. And in fact, Len Stringfield, in 1945, he was on a flight from Iwo Jima to Japan in September of 1945, right after the war ended. I mean, it's been over for like days, and we're sending American soldiers into Japan now to set all of that stuff up. He's on an aircraft from Iwo Jima to Japan. Let's go more into that in the next segment. We have a hard break coming up, and I certainly don't want to interrupt this any further. We have so much ground to cover. We have Kevin Randall joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. 
Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237. 2237 extension 129. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Springtime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know spring is the time to stock up at HerbalHealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for spring specials, including our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, hoodia and metabolic complex, and pro-metabolic, all on sale now. Also, the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and Warwood Plus complex, plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy 
same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and click on Spring Specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. The question being about UFO sightings, similar to what Kenneth Arnold saw in the years, days before the case. We're talking to Kevin Randall author of the government UFO files. Let's continue with this discussion about what Leonard Stringfield saw. He sees the three objects out close to the airplane and the engine starts to sputter and the pilot comes over the air and tells him, you know, we may have to ditch here because our engines are beginning to to run erratically. And these objects moved off and the engines began to to, uh, run perfectly. So now we've got Len Stringfield, very credible man, telling us of an electromagnetic effect of an airplane in September of 1945, and we know how that translates through the UFO field. So there are things like that scattered through it. What I was looking for was something specifically like like, uh, March, April, May, and June prior to Arnold talking about disc-shaped objects, but I can find stuff earlier than that that talk about disc-shaped objects and formations of objects. But there's something else that relates to Arnold. If you look at the original drawing he made for the Air Force, or for the Army Air Forces at the time, which is available in the Project Blue Book files. You see it's kind of a heel-shaped object with a little bit of a scallop at the end, not a whole lot, but, but that kind of a blunt end type thing like you'd see on the heel of a shoe. Just days, two weeks later, a fellow named William Rhodes takes a photograph of an object over Phoenix, Arizona, uh, July 7th, 1947. And what does the object look like? It looks like a heel-shaped object. It looks exactly what Arnold was talking about. Now, Arnold... Because he kind of started this whole thing, he was asked by Ray Palmer, who was the editor of a science fiction magazine that got deep into the Shaver mystery. Oh, yes, yes. But, but, but the point is, you know, it relates to Maury Island, and these two guys from Maury Island, which is Puget Sound area of, of Washington, had written to Palmer talking about their UFO sighting, which I, I believe to be a hoax, and that's not really the important point. The point is, Palmer asked Arnold to investigate. So Arnold, Arnold, this businessman from Boise, Idaho, who big claim to fame is he saw the UFOs and he's a, a private pilot, is now asked to investigate a UFO sighting. He doesn't know what he's doing. So he calls a friend of his, E.J. Smith, which, by the way, is the same name of the guy who was the captain of the Titanic. But Smith was the airline pilot on a United Airlines flight on July 4th. had seen a bunch of UFOs pacing his aircraft. Arnold knows him and calls him, so they get together in Washington to investigate this case, this Maury Island case, and they're still kind of out of their depth here. They don't know what they're doing. But Arnold had been interviewed by two guys from Hamilton Air Force Base, Brown and Davidson, two intelligence officers. And the intelligence officer, I think it was Brown, had told Arnold, you know, if if you have any questions, give me a call. So Arnold called Brown to tell him about this sighting. And Brown and Davidson took a B-25 from Hamilton. They were both qualified pilots, and they flew up to the area to talk to Arnold about this. The real point of the whole story is Arnold asked if there'd been any other sightings like his, and Brown told him about the Rhodes photos and sketched it for him and told him what was going on there. But then Brown and Davidson, as they're going back, the airplane fire developed in the engine, and they were killed in the accident that 
transpired afterwards. No evidence that a UFO shot it down, no evidence that uh, they were carrying secret materials back from Maury Island, any of that stuff. It was just a horrible uh, aircraft accident. The two people had bailed out and survived, so you know we have, a, we have a good idea of what was going on there. But the real point is, Brown told Arnold about the Roge photos as the best evidence they had at the time, and then the Air Force, or the Army Air Forces, goes to great lengths to discredit uh, Rhodes by making fun of his laboratory in the backyard and the fact he uh, called himself the doctor, even though they could find no evidence of the doctorate. But it turns out Rhodes had held like 40 patents and was a very bright guy who'd worked for the UFO, U.S. government during the Second World War and was given the Navy. The Navy wanted to get more prestige, so they gave a series of tests to the engineers working for them. And if you scored so high on it, you were given the equivalency of a, a master's degree. And if you scored higher, you were given the equivalency of a Ph.D. So Rhodes had one of these equivalent Ph.D. things. So it wasn't like, like he was completely making it up. There was some documentation to support that, even though it's kind of a shaky Ph.D. type thing. But Rhodes is a very credible guy, and the government worked very hard to discredit him. And the other interesting thing is when he was first interviewed by government officials, he was, was an FBI agent and a CIC agent, an Army intelligence guy. And the Army intelligence guy, of course, is dressed in civilian clothes as is the FBI guy. And he says, the FBI guy, don't tell him I'm Army intelligence. This is all documented in the government file. So we've got the, we show sort of the duplicity there that the Army didn't want the people to know that they were investigating the UFO sightings as they were with, with Rhodes, and they had the perfect foil. I mean, the FBI guy shows his credentials and says, I'm agent so-and-so, and this is my, my partner uh, guy working with me, and uh, they just went on from that. You know, special agent so-and-so, who was happened to be not a special agent of the FBI, but a special agent of the counterintelligence. Huh. There you go. Is that convoluted enough for you? Very. I still haven't found the cases that are similar to Arnold's before Arnold, though, after um, all that. And that's the exact same problem I have. I can find some much earlier, especially with the Foo Fighter stuff out of World War II, and you go back even further than that, you can find disc-shaped objects. But the document cases where they reported the thing in some arena prior to Arnold, I have not been able to find in a number of stories. And there was one from a newspaper editor in Idaho, I think, after Arnold's sighting broke, he wrote his own story and said, this is something I saw the month prior. So it was before Arnold, but it's not documented till after Arnold. Right, and, and I think there was a case in Oregon and maybe Northern California that was right around that same week time period. I'm not sure if there, it was several whole, days. There's a whole bunch of those, and, and the Blue Book files have some of them. That estimate of the situation that, that went to Wright Field in July of 1947 that, that spawned the, the Twining letter, there were 18 cases. Arnold is a, chronologically is the fifth case they look at. So there's like four cases prior to that where they're talking about similar things and it's pilots who've seen them and those are in the Project Blue Book files or maybe not. I think they're mentioned, but sometimes the case is missing. But I mean, we know what the cases were. So there are some cases. The problem is we can't document them specifically prior to, to Arnold. You know, they're saying, well, I saw this before Arnold, but I didn't report it because I didn't think anybody would believe me. So we've got a number of those sorts of things. Once we get beyond Arnold, in just days after Arnold, we get a lot of disc-shaped craft. But we got a lot of other stuff, too. Well, the question, of course, one would raise here, the skeptic, is if those sightings occurred after Arnold's, then somehow Arnold's 
citing the description influenced them regardless of the reality. Yes, and the other side of that coin is anything that was seen in the sky, any aerial phenomena, regardless of the shape, was called a flying saucer. So there's a number of cases, if you look at them, they're talking about cigar-shaped craft, or they're talking about glowing balls or ball-shaped objects, things like that. In Portland, Oregon, I think over the July 4th weekend, there was a series of sightings by both civilians and police officers at several different locations over a matter of hours, and they describe the object as looking like a dime, so it's a flat object, circular, but it's not really saucer-shaped as we think of the classic saucer. But everything, whether it was cigar-shaped or whatever it looked like, was labeled as a flying saucer after Arnold made that statement or after the, the press picked up on flying saucer. So how do you separate the reality from the possible fantasy? That's a question. We have a lot more to cover, and we have some questions from our listeners of our guest, Kevin Randall. This is one of the many thousands of books he's written. I understand he is fighting it out with Brad Steiger to be the most prolific author of paranormal books on the planet, since Steiger is probably older. Well, we don't want to get into that. The book is called The Government UFO Files, The Conspiracy of Cover-Up. I'm going to look more into what may or may not be covered up. Kevin Randall, again, is the guest with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. What good is a Big Berkey water filter? We get that question a lot here at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And in a word, the answer is protection. 
protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. Dot com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X dot com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM1 from Terraganics. Life's getting better. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast the gold standard of paranormal radio. All right. So let's look here more about the possible cover-up. So a lot of information is out there. Do you think, Kevin Randall, that the government has guilty knowledge of the actual solution to the so-called UFO enigma? Absolutely. I think they picked up the answer on, on uh, in early July 1947 when the thing crashed at Roswell. I think if you take a look at the history, which we now have connected to the Foo Fighters, it's not a separate entity. It's all part of the same ongoing thing. But if we look at, if we look at that, we see on July 8th, the Army announces they have a flying saucer. Three hours later, they're saying, no, nah, no, nah, it's a weather balloon. You guys, the, the guys in Roswell just overreacted. It's a weather balloon. And so nobody's talking about that. But the very next day, July 9, 1947, you get uh, newspaper articles that say the Army and Navy moved move today to suppress stories of flying saucers whizzing through the atmosphere. Why suddenly on July 9th did they care about us studying stories of flying saucers whizzing through the atmosphere when in the, the two weeks after Arnold, they didn't care? There's all kinds of stories where they're interviewing military people and they're saying, well, I, we don't know what it is. It's not one of ours. It's not one of our research projects. Uh, it might be this. It might be that. There's all kinds of stories from scientists making uh, claims about what flying saucers might be. All of that's going on. And suddenly on July 9th, the, the Army 
and the Navy moved to start suppressing the stories, to cut it down. Which, by the way, is the same thing the Swedish government, the Finnish government did in 1946 with the ghost rockets. Eventually, the, the, the number of reports in the newspaper reached a critical mass, and the government tried to suppress the stories and stopped, and asked the newspapers to stop reporting them. So after July 9, 1947, you have a great drop-off on the number of stories printed about UFOs in the, in the newspaper. I think indirectly that shows us that they have, as you put it, guilty knowledge of what the flying saucers are. Well, in the sense of knowing what they are, do they know where they come from, or is it just something unknown that we cannot put our hands on? I believe that they know they're extraterrestrial. We now know that they're not interplanetary. I think in 1947 the the discussion was interplanetary, and the two culprits in that were Mars and Venus. And, of course, we know Venus is really, really hot, and the lead would melt on the surface, which explains why nobody's really put a spacecraft on the uh, surface of Venus that transmitted for very long, because it melted. But in, in looking at Mars, we, we know pretty well that there's nothing on Mars either. So you're looking at interstellar distances. I remember, Kevin, reading the early books from Donald Kehoe, where he was talking so much about the possibility of Mars. Yes, and, and, and everybody's looking at the interplanetary um, solution to it. That was because our, our knowledge of Mars and Venus was much more limited than it is today. So, I, I, you know, we're, now, we're not talking interstellar. It's clearly that, that if these are structured craft built somewhere, they're built outside the solar system and have come, come into the solar system from one, one of these other, other star systems. But uh, we have no real clues. The only, the only thing that's ever come up was the Barney and Betty Hill star map. But our knowledge of astronomy as it's grown, shows that some of the assumptions made by Marjorie Fish is the woman who identified the Zeta-1, Zeta-2 reticuli system as where the, the aliens that abducted Betty Hill came from. I think you know, a lot of the information she used is now horribly out of date, and we need, we need to re- revisit that to see if we can uh, narrow it down. But the answer to the question is, all I can say with any certainty is that they're from outside the solar system. I don't know where. I did. And that's the other thing. I don't know if it's, you know, is it easier to travel great distances once you've mastered the speed of light barrier? Or is it, uh, you know, do the distances make a great difference? So you, to, you'd assume that the UFOs come from our galactic neighborhood as opposed to clear across the galaxy or something like that. And I don't have an answer. All I know is in our society, for me to go to California from where I live, I have, to, I have to fly 90 minutes in the wrong direction to reach a hub and then fly 90 minutes back to the point where I started to get to Los Angeles, where if I'm going from New York to Los Angeles, I can do it much quicker. The analogy, of course, I, I don't know if the analogy works really well, but it's just kind of thing. It's, it's easier to go coast to coast than it is from the Midwest to one of the coasts. Let's and go back to the government secrecy for a moment. Okay. okay. So they know in 1947, having captured spacecraft at Roswell, what's going on? Even if they're not at all certain where they come from precisely, they know this is something that is not of this world. How do you keep the secret for over 60 years? Uh, the answer is Aztec, but, but we'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, oh? Aztec, New Mexico. But, but I'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, I'm the, very curious about what you're going to add about that. Yes. <laughs> the, the, thing is, the thing is, in 1947... Once they've picked up the craft, they, they have no clue as to what's going on. They now know 
they, they know that it's alien. They know it's from outside the Earth's atmosphere, but they don't know if it's the beginning of an invasion force. They don't know if it's a threat to national security. They don't know if it's benign. They don't know anything. All they know is they've got one, and it's clearly not from Earth. So they are lucky that the thing fell in the, in the desolate wastes of, of New Mexico, 70 miles from Roswell, for example. The, the, they're able to suppress the media because it is not nearly as uh, argumentative then as it is today, or adversarial, I guess would be a better word, as it is today. And when they ask people to keep things quiet, they pretty much did. The other thing is they controlled, they controlled the witnesses. The, uh, Mac Brazel found the thing. Well, he's in Roswell being held by the military. Jesse Marcel, who went out and picked up the stuff, he's in Fort Worth uh, at 8th Air Force headquarters, so the, the press can't find him. The sheriff tells anybody who calls, I'm working with the boys out at the base, you need to talk to them. So they're able to suppress the information in 1947. Today's environment, they'd never get away with it, unless the press for some reason liked the administration, in which case they don't get quite as in their face as they would for some others. But that's another problem. So in 1947, they don't know what's going on. They're able to control the flow of information because of the, the, the situation that happened. In 1952, a book's published called Behind the Flying Saucers. And it's alleged that there was a crash near Aztec, New Mexico. At the same time, a, uh, I guess the book came out in 1950. In 1952, in True Magazine, there was an expose of that story done by a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, where he kind of took the story of the Aztec crash apart and, and set it at the feet of two con men who eventually were arrested in Colorado for some sort of uh, confidence scheme. In fact, Isaac, uh, Isaac Newton, no, 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 um, Newton, Newton. Silas Newton. Silas Newton, thank you. Silas Newton had a long history of, of arrests for con games going back into the 1930s. Let me just interrupt for a second. Okay. Our listeners want to hear more about this. There was a debate on the Paracast with Kevin Randall and with, of course, Scott, Scott Ramsey, who was co-author of a book that argues in favor of Aztec. Please go on. But the, 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 the validity of Aztec really isn't important here. What is important is the expose written by J.P. Kane in the San Francisco Chronicle pretty well took, a, took apart the Aztec case, at least in the um, belief of all the people in UFOs. So nobody in the UFO community wanted to talk about UFO crashes. So if you had the story of a UFO crash, it was pretty well shelved. Nobody wanted to talk to it. NICAP, one of the big civilian organizations, they didn't even want to hear about occupants for the most part. APRO, the other one, at least got into the occupants and the abductions, but they didn't want to have anything to do with um, UFO crashes. So nobody's talking about UFO crashes at all. So nobody's looking into those stories with any kind of depth except at Aztec, and that would appear periodically, and somebody would look at it, and then somebody else would say, no, it's all a hoax. So is Aztec a smokescreen for Roswell? It turned out that way. I don't think it really was, I don't think it originally was intended that way, but it became a smokescreen. And, and, and it, I remember when the Roswell incident came out in the 1980 and seeing the book and thinking to myself, oh, this is just Aztec repackaged. And so uh, I didn't even look at it until QFOS asked me, to participate in their investigation of the Roswell case because they wanted someone with a military background because a lot of the witnesses were ex-military and they thought I might bring some insight 
into the military mind and, and, and maybe would relate to these guys better than a civilian would. We're going to have more insights from Kevin Randall on the other side. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Great minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. First game attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TechNightOwl for a special discount. Sudden change in the wind. The day grows dark as ominous clouds move in and lightning begins to carve arcs in the sky. And you realize you are not prepared. I am telling you to take cover. The number of intense storms is increasing exponentially in the U.S. Tornadoes, hurricanes, flooding, and droughts are happening with greater magnitude and frequency. If you are choosing to rely on the government to save you... And no one's coming to help them. You could be dead wrong. The first step towards self-reliance in the face of disaster is a visit to MyPatriotSupply.com. There you'll find the absolute best prices on storable foods, non-GMO seeds, emergency water filtration devices, and so much more. All orders over $49 qualify for free shipping in the lower 48. Visit us online or call 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. And speak to one of our preparedness advisors today. Remember, before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just 19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV a little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. 
I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Interviewing Kevin Randall is so easy. I just say, how about? And he answers the question. Okay, so we're exploring what evidence the government might have about UFO reality. We're into Roswell and Aztec. And let's have you go on, Kevin Randall. Well, the point simply was that because of the expo day done by J.P. Kane of the, of the Aztec crash back in 1952, UFO researchers and UFO organizations didn't want to hear about UFO crashes. Once the Roswell incident was published, there wasn't a great flood to that. I think the, the real key to begin the investigations of UFO crashes was Len Stringfield's, I think it was 1978 UFON paper, where he actually mentioned Jesse Marcel, the air intelligence officer from Roswell, talking about the crash there. And then, of course, the book came out. and then QFOS learned that there was still a lot of witnesses who had not been interviewed or not been contacted or a possibility of additional witnesses. And Don Schmidt and I began the investigation into the case in 1989. But up to that point, nobody's really talking about this except in a very limited fashion. So that one of the ways they kept the secret was, uh, the secret was kept is we sort of kept it ourselves, simply not believing that the, there would be a UFO crash or any evidence. And it was Roswell that kind of turned all of that around because you had so many witnesses. Uh, Colonel Blanchard, the commander of the 509th Bomb Group, every member of his staff, his primary staff in Roswell in 1947, with a single exception, talked about this thing being uh, alien. Jesse Marcel said, uh, it was something that came to Earth, but it was not from Earth. Uh, the provost marshal, Edwin Easley, uh, told me that it was extraterrestrial. I said to him in a, in a phone interview or a phone conversation, um, are we following the right path? And, and Easley says, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, we think it was extraterrestrial. And Easley says, well, let me put it this way. That's not the wrong path. In essence, telling me, oh, we're on the right path. Patrick Saunders, who was the base adjutant on the flyleaf of one of the books that I had written, the, the flyleaf talks about how they covered the whole thing up. Saunders wrote, this is the truth, and I never told anybody about it and signed his name to it and sent it off to a friend who sent me a, a Xerox copy of, of, of that. So every member of, of Blanchard's staff who we were able to interview said the thing was alien. But nobody was talking about that from 1947 because Ramey, the commander of 8th Air Force, who said it was a weather balloon, everybody accepted that answer and continued to march. Aztec came along and it was thoroughly debunked in 1952 to everybody's satisfaction at that time. And so nobody wants to talk about UFO crashes. And that's the way this thing stayed buried for so long. Interestingly, in the Project Blue Book files, you'll find any number of 
crash reports from 1947. They're all hoaxes. I mean, one guy found a little six-inch disc, for example. They're all pretty much hoaxes. There's no reference to Roswell in that, but that was a UFO sighting. It was front-page paper. You'd think there'd be a file on Roswell in the Project Blue Book files, but there's not. The only reference I've ever found in the Project Blue Book files to Roswell was in the middle, middle paragraph in a three-paragraph story in part of another file that said that a blistering rebuke had been issued to Walter Hott for his, his press release the day before. So it's, we know it's a reference to Roswell in this newspaper clipping, but there's no, there's no case file for Roswell, yet there are for some of these other UFO crash hoaxes. Let's move beyond that a little bit because we've covered Roswell over and over again. This is 2014, okay? Yes, it is. All right. So now that we're sitting here in 2014, and the secret was found out in 1947, where is the Roswell spaceship? Is it secreted away in a dustbin in Warehouse 13? Are they still looking over it? Are they trying to reverse engineer the technology? What about the pilots? Where are they today, and who's keeping the secret today? I think the secret is kept by a very small number of bureaucrats. I think as our technology develops, We apply it to the craft or the pieces of the craft or whatever we have. We apply our technology to the alien bodies to see what we can learn about their um, biology, and we do it as our technology develops. We know, based on the evidence from 1947, that everything went to Wright Field, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. General Exxon, who was at Wright-Patterson at the time, said that one of the bodies had gone to Lowry in Denver, because Lowry at the time was the Army's mortuary service, and they were looking for a way to preserve the bodies because you assume that you have unique biological samples and you're not going to get any more. So you want to preserve them as best they can, and they figured they, they sent it, according to Exxon, to, to Lowry for that sort of experimentation. Where the stuff is today, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I've heard a rumor that the Navy has a, an island base out in the Pacific where all this stuff is stored, and, and when you think about it, it makes perfect sense because that would be the easiest way to keep it secure because nobody's going to be sneaking up on an island to take a look at it. The people there are going to be, uh, you would assume, well-trained, and uh, they would have limited knowledge of what was going on except for a, a small number of, of people. But I, I don't know. Once it got to right field, we really don't have a good idea of where this stuff where the stuff went. But you have to assume that we continue to apply our technology to it as it as it goes forward. So how do we unearth the secret? And the second question would be, does the White House know? Or is the president out of the loop? He's just a temporary resident. I think I think the president is out of the loop, but not but but the only reason is uh, there are much more pressing issues on his plate. And if something happened, he would be he would be told. And I and I and I know of an example of something like this. There was something called Operation Solo. This was a um, guy who'd been a communist in the 1930s, an American who'd been a communist in the 1930s, and realized as he learned more about the Soviet Union that the communism ideal was not being translated well in in Soviet Union. And he flipped to the other side and became an FBI informant. But he was so respected by the Soviets that he's on the inside. In, in the Soviet Union. He's, he's now being run by the FBI. He goes to the Soviet Union repeatedly. Uh, he's told all kinds of interesting things that he brings back and gives to the FBI because that's his job. The operation was run out of the New York office, and, and most of the agents in the New York office didn't know about this operation. The president didn't know about it. 
And the only time they told a president about it was Gerald Ford, and he had just become president after Nixon had resigned. He was about to meet with the Soviet premier, and he was worried about how well he would do. So the FBI briefed him on Operation Solo, which was this wonderful operation giving us all kinds of inside information about the operations in the Kremlin and what is going on in the Soviet Union. But the president wasn't told routinely because it wasn't necessary for the president to know that to do his job. And I think that's where the UFO stuff falls. It's something that's you know, really, really interesting. And if the president wanted to find out, he, he could because he's the president. But I don't think he's re- routinely briefed on it because it is not necessary for him to know this stuff to do his job properly. So what do we do? What do we peasants do here who have been ranting about UFOs or whatever they're called for all these years? How do we persuade the powers that be to reveal their guilty knowledge? Uh, we're never going to persuade them. There is no motivation for them to tell us. And it doesn't matter how close we get, they're not going to tell us. The only way it's going to happen is if the UFOs, the alien creatures, land and say, here we are, and there's no way to deny it. But what we can do, and, and this is the thing I found interesting by going through the files and the documents, is we can, we can uncover some of this stuff. For example, uh, we learned about Project Moondust because the State Department, in a FOIA request, released some UFO-related documents that referenced moon dust, which they shouldn't have done, but they did. But here's the thing that just cracks me up. As I was working on the book, I was looking for a, a sighting in the 1960 range, and as I was scanning by it, I thought I saw the words moon dust in the Project Blue Book files. So I went back, I found four cases in, in 19, the 1960s labeled moon dust. I found a document that tells me that moon dust began in 1957. Uh, it, was, it was dated December of 1957. It says this project recently created, obviously because of Sputnik, you know, now exists for the for the re- recovery of information. Project Moondust. So there was a reference in Moon to Moondust and Moondust cases in the Project Blue Book files. And as far as I know, nobody ever made that connection before. I found it accidentally by looking for something else. So the point is, we need to look at all the documentation that is available, and it's available in a lot of different places, and see what we can uncover by that. We learned the name of Moondust. We learned that Moondust had a UFO component. We learned that Moondust transcended Project Blue Book. So when Blue Book ended, Moondust kept going, and part of the Moondust mission was a UFO investigation. When the code name was compromised in the mid-1980s, they changed the code name and kept going. And we know this because Robert Todd filed a FOIA request, and they told him the new name is properly classified. So there was no need to tell him. So we know that, the, that all that changed was the code name. So we need to keep looking at that stuff and seeing all these little nuggets that we can find inside the files with the documentation and say, you know, here, here we go. Here's documentation that shows this. And you, you can look at this document. You can get it yourself through FOIA, which, by the way, you can't do with MJ-12. But, but if you FOIA the State Department for Moondust, they will send you do- documents with Moondust on it. I found it in the Project Blue Book files. Let's go into our break. Oh, boy. It's getting interesting. More by the second with Kevin Randall and Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Today is an important day. It's your day to be ready, take care of your family, and buy your emergency food supply from the Freeze-Dry Guy. Because today, the Freeze-Dry Guy introduces our Mountain House and Packaway one-month food supply. Today, get the Freeze-Dry Guy's 30-day premium unit, normally $364, sale priced at $263, save $101. Buy two cases, normally $727, sale priced at $506, save $222. Or choose three 30-day premium units, normally $1,091, now only $748, save $343 from the freeze-dry guy. These premium units are packed with the highest quality Mountain House entrees, meats, vegetables, and Packaway brand freeze-dried pineapple and dehydrates such as milk, ABC stew, and rolled oats. 289 half-cup servings. Go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. Free shipping to the lower 48. Hurry, our Mountain House and Packaway one-month supply sale ends soon. So call now, 866-404-3663. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. What I'm seeing here, Kevin Randall, to kind of cut this short a little bit, that is that there may be a small agency that has the ultimate secret. We understand that. But that information does leak out. They can't control all of it. It's just so sprawling, the government. There's no way. So you do have the pieces of a puzzle. If you can only assemble the pieces, maybe you would know the secret before there's even some kind of final revelation. Well, one of the problems we run into is the skeptics. And one of them, I think in a, in a comment on my blog, just recently said he wouldn't believe they were aliens even if he saw the craft in the bodies. And so we have to put up with that sort of thing as well. So that helps keep the secret. Uh, uh, I've often said that, that um, in, in some of the great hoaxes that have been exposed in the, in the UFO field that, that helps create this idea there's nothing to it, I've often said if I was the guy running the operation to supply the, the disinformation or keep the thing secret, I'd take credit for all this with my bosses. See what I was able to do? I was able to divert attention in this direction. So I, I, you know, it's it, 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 all of that going on. But as we 
look at the information. We can gather the testimony from very credible witnesses. They often give us clues as to where to look for documentation, and we, we can sometimes find that documentation. And so we have, to, we have to be able to provide that so that other people can follow in the, our footsteps. The Ramey memo comes to mind immediately. That's the document that Ramey is holding in, a, in one of the pictures taken in his office in 1947, and there's attempts to read this based on blow-ups and, and uh, manipulation of the photographs to read what, what that document actually says, which could turn out to be the smoking gun. And I've said, but what we have to do is make sure that we provide all the information on how we got to that point, if it does lead to that conclusion, so that everybody else can follow us and see that we have done nothing to alter it you can do the same thing by following these steps and this information is available. We have to be available, in essence, for peer review of, of, of our research, that others can follow in our footsteps and verify what, we say, what we're saying. There you go. No way to do it, it sounds like. Kind of frustrating. Well, no, it's, it's not there's no way to do it. There, there's people we're not going to be able to convince no matter what we have and what we present in evidence. But what I'm saying is the evidence is out there, but we just have to be a little bit more diligent in our collection of that evidence and make sure that that the, the, the steps we took to get to that evidence can be followed by somebody else. So if I present a document to you and I say, this comes from such and such and proves such and such, you can go to that agency and get the same documents. You know, and, and that's the point with MJ-12. You can't do that. You can't go to a government agency that inadvertently released the documents and, and they say, yes, this is a document we hold. You can do that with Moondust, for example. You can do this with other secret stuff. So we have to be able to provide the steps to get to the conclusions that, that we have drawn so that others can see it independently of what we've done. Well, well, Kevin, I have a, a quick question here uh, for some of our first-time listeners and neophytes into this particular subject. Project Moondust, now wasn't that tasked with the recovery of, uh, of downed objects? Correct me if I'm wrong. Project Moondust was developed to recover returning space debris of foreign manufacturer or unknown origin. Foreign manufacturer clearly labels Soviet Union and now would be all the other space agencies around there. And foreign, foreign uh, uh, unknown origin, that's the UFO component. When we look at uh, Moondust files, we can see the UFO component in there. And that was one of the things that the FOIA request did, is it was State Department files under Project Moondust that talked about um, UFO sightings in other parts of the world and the recovery of objects. Most of the time, the objects clearly are of, of terrestrial manufacture. But we've got some very good sightings that come out of Moondust. The four sightings I found in Project Blue Book are really crappy sightings. Basically, they could be meteors uh, seen in the distance very quickly from, from the descriptions you see in the files. But it shows the, the UFO component. So Moondust had a UFO component. It had, had a number of missions. They deployed a number of times. Now, since we, we've got into this Senator Jeff Bingaman of New Mexico had queried the Air Force about Project Moondust, and he was told at the time that there was uh, no such project. It never existed. When Moondust documents were sent to the Air Force, I mean, clearly from the Department of State, so that there was a provenance for the documents, the Air Force wrote back and said, we'd like to amend our last statement. Yes, there was a Project Moondust, but we never deployed it. 
Well, other documents show that it did deploy. So, you know, again, we, what we found is government duplicity in this, government lying about what Moondust did, where it went, it, if it even existed, and we've been able to document all that. So if you wanted to follow in my footsteps, um, you know, I'd say, well, you've got to take a look at uh, FOIA, the stuff from the State Department. You have got to look at the Project Blue Book files, and it's the cases, cases around September of 1960, I believe. So you can go to the Blue Book files, and you can look it up, and you can see the Project Moondust cases yourself. So you can, you can follow my footsteps independently and get to the same place. Well, that brings me to a really good question that's been posed by JPW in Wisconsin at forum.theparacast.com, where you can ask questions of our guests. And, and this is a perfect lead-in to the question. Mr. Randall has lived through many changes throughout his career. If he's willing to wade into a potentially political puddle of mud, I'd like to hear about his broader thoughts on the current lack of transparency on the part of the U.S. government and this deep decline in the public's trust in government. How we've arrived at this point and maybe UFO secrecy could be commented uh, within this context. Well, that's a wide-ranging question, but I will. Well, say it's just one- a, but basically saying, hey, you know, public trust in the government has really degraded, and you know, we have this lack of transparency now. Well, yes, and I, 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 to address the lack of transparency, FOIA used to require a response in ten working days. So you file a FOIA request. They were required to respond. Now, oftentimes the response was, we have your request, we're looking at it. They've, they've now complied with the letter of the law, but they haven't really told you anything. And then sometime later, you might get some documents that relate to that. Uh, in the days, in the age of email and the Internet, I have, I have filed some FOIA requests with military organizations and gotten a response quickly from them over, over the Internet, answering my questions, especially if they were simple questions. On the other hand, I filed FOIA requests with the Secretary of the Air Force and gotten absolutely no response, none whatsoever, which means FOIA simply has no real teeth left anymore. So now we have the lack of transparency. They don't, they, they're just not, a, not afraid of, of not responding to you. And I, I think this, this whole thing is an outgrowth of really the, the Vietnam War, where there was a very adversarial relationship between the government and the press, and some of the things that you could see on the TV clearly were not related to what the government was saying. It moves on to Watergate, where President Nixon was saying, well, I'm not a crook, I'm not involved, we didn't do this, we didn't do that, and it comes out, well, they did do all of that, to uh, ongoing things today, where uh, uh, the president or the administration or the government says one thing, and it turns out something completely different is true. And, it, and, and, and you've got it on both sides of the aisle. You've got the Congress, uh, whose most congressmen seems to be their, their mission is to get reelected, and they don't worry about um, what's happening to the country. So you, you, you can see all of that for, for yourself, that uh, the transparency in the government and the mission of the government now is to sort of perpetuate itself as opposed to do what governments were supposed to do when they were created back well, our government uh, 200 and some odd years ago. Well, what's happening now is people in Congress and the Senate, they spend a lot of their time fundraising because they won't be reelected unless they get enough cash. And sometimes it costs a lot of money, though, of course, in a strange turn of events, Congressman Eric Cantor raised $5 million. His opponent raised maybe one or 200000 and the opponent won, and the polls were all off. So that was a big mess, but... <laughs> 
you know, so it's become a money machine. They're a money operation. And the other question I want to ask you when we get back from our break is, is there private industry involvement in keeping the UFO secret? Because I think that would do better. There's no government bureaucrat to leak the information. You don't know where it is because some private corporation has it. Kevin Randall joins us. The book is The Government UFO Files with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Amanda Bolso here from Midas Resources. Today, June 10th, 2014, gold opened at 1261.10. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1307.17, for a half ounce, or 326.79 for a quarter ounce. Again, that's 1307.17, and 326.79. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just 19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV The human body is extraordinary. 
Despite all the stresses we inflict upon it, it still works hard to stay in balance. Thousands upon thousands of people rely upon heart and body extract to help their body stay balanced. This excellent 100% natural herbal formula helps maintain healthy blood pressure levels, cleans arteries, promotes good circulation, balances cholesterol, and more. HB extract, paired with healthy lifestyle choices like good nutrition and exercise, can give you a life free of pain, sickness, and fear. Recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of HB extract. It's extremely effective and it starts working in just days. Visit hbextract.com to learn more and to read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers. And we've never increased our price in over 10 years. That makes heart and body extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Call 866-295-5305 or go to hbextract.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So my crazy quote question, Kevin Randall, on the Paracast with Gene and Chris, is whether... Any of this information with regard to the secret, with regard to captured spaceships such as Roswell, could that have been funneled off to private industry, which would make it basically invisible unless we knew where to look? I will say yes. (laughs) I think as, as you attempt to reverse engineer this and you find out it's outside the expertise of the people you're talking to, you may attempt to find others with other expertise that might be able to give you answers. So some of it could have been funneled into private industry, but it's just it's just a very convoluted question, and we and we get hints of these sorts of things, and and the problem is we don't we don't know where to look, we don't know the code names, we don't know how to access specific information. So if you don't know the code names, if you know it's not going to be filed under UFO crash, it's going to be filed under something else. And if we don't know that code name, then we're not going to be able to, to, to find anything. And, and, you, and a lot of times in these FOIA requests, you get the response is the information is properly classified. But the only, the only event that, that should make it properly classified would be a national security event. And that's where Maelstrom becomes important, because we're dealing with a national security event. If an outside agency, whatever that agency might be, can shut down a missile a whole flight of, of Minuteman missiles at the same time so they, they cannot be launched, then that's a matter of national security because you don't want the Soviets to know that it can be done and somebody figured out how to do it. So you have to take a look, you have to take a look at all of that sort of thing. But so when they say, well, that's a matter of national security, yeah, that's a matter of national security. Were UFOs involved in that? Well, there were sightings all over the darn place at the time that happened. And so UFO may have found a way through whatever method of shutting down the missile flights. It becomes a matter of national security. So that sighting, those sighting events now go in a different direction. Yeah, we won't even talk about all the cattle mutilations uh, that occurred in the 70s around Malmstrom, right in the midst of a UFO wave. And there's nothing in my book about the cattle mutilations, but there's stuff in my book about the Malmstrom shutdowns. 
uh, including information from Robert Salas, of course, and some other people who are involved. Here's something interesting that I, I don't know if it's mentioned in the book, but if you all know about the RB-47 chase that took place in 1957, this was a, a bomber that was on a training mission over the Gulf of Mexico, flew up through Mississippi, uh, over across Shreveport, Louisiana, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and then back to its home base. And it was paced by a UFO in a number of cases. They, the, the crew saw it. It was, it was painted on radar, apparently painted on radar on the ground. The pilot was a guy named Lewis Chase. Uh, he was a major at the time. When you get to the Maelstrom case, the UFO officer that's working with the, the uh, guys from the University of Colorado and their UFO study same guy, Lewis Chase. He's now a lieutenant colonel. He's the UFO officer at Maelstrom Air Force Base. And he's telling, he's telling some of the, the um, Colorado investigators, I can't get into that. It's national security. And that would be the missile shutdown part of it. Wow. So uh, he has an event uh, occur where he's the, probably the ranking officer, and then he becomes an expert. <laughs> he's the ranking officer on the airplane. He's the pilot in command. He's involved with the UFO sighting. And uh, and the next thing you know, he's at Maelstrom Air Force Base as a lieutenant colonel as the UFO officer, which is unusual because a UFO officer was normally some second lieutenant that got the job as an additional duty. They didn't have a didn't have one guy assigned to it full time. But if there was a UFO sighting in the area, this poor second lieutenant or first lieutenant was normally tasked with finding it. But here at Maelstrom, the guy tasked with it was a lieutenant colonel. Wow. And the name Chase uh, has some interesting name game implications. Well, yes, it does. And we, I was hoping we wouldn't go there. <laughs> Keep it going, Chris. Okay. Well, um, yeah, on that note, uh, we'll just kind of move right along here. I have a question from Joey uh, K22, who's been a longtime poster at forum.theparacast.com. I mean, we're talking five years, and this is only uh, his 28th message at Forum. Uh, at the forum here, and he's wondering if you have any examples of when conspiracy theorists have been proven correct over the past hundred years, he says, in regards to UFOs and the government. That's a good question. You'll probably have to scratch your head a little bit on that one. Well, actually, no. The thing that springs to my mind is is the uh, uh, Project Moondust stuff. Yeah. I mean, here, here, here's a here. We're alleging that there was this investigation called Moondust, and the Air Force is denying that it ever existed. And pretty soon, we've got the documentation, and the Air Force saying, "Oh, yeah, it existed, but we never used it." And we have the documentation to prove that. So, in in this respect, that conspiracy theory has been has been proven accurate. Um, right. And and uh, Jeff Bingman, as you mentioned, was told that there was no such thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so here's 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 you know one that springs to mind immediately. We can look at some of the other the other things. Uh, another another great one would be the Colorado study done in nineteen published in nineteen sixty nine about there being no national security implications. We made a scientific study and there's nothing, nothing to be learned from UFOs. And we find, as the study was beginning, the Air Force sends a letter written by a lieutenant colonel named Robert Hitler telling the Condon Committee exactly what to find. We would like you to say some positive things about the uh, Air Force investigation. We'd like to say, you'd say there's no national security implications. We'd like to, you to say that we should you know, end the investigation so we can get out of this thing that we publicly have to investigate. And the Colorado Commission writes back and said, yeah, okay, we can do that. And the next thing you know, Condon is saying um, in, in a speech in Corning, New York, 
Um, I really don't think there's anything to this, but I'm not supposed to come to that conclusion for another um, another 18 months. So right, yeah, they, yeah. You shouldn't spend any more money on this. And so the government, uh, the Air Force in particular, uses this as an excuse to stop and cease Project Blue Book. And then six months later, MUFON begins. There, but they're, they, they stop. They stop, pub, they stop public investigations, but we know it's not true. Because, A, the Air Force mission is to keep our skies clear of unknown objects. So they have a, a, a mission beyond UFOs to, to investigate these things. But secondly, we know that Project Moondust existed at that time. So they quit Project Blue Book, but Moondust continues. And Moondust is doing some of the same stuff that Blue Book was doing. So we see the continuation of the investigation. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning, Project Sign, um, Early on, after the, after after uh, uh, some more, some eighteen months or so, they issued a final report that said, "Well, we couldn't find anything to flying saucers. We stopped the investigation." That was a lie. They changed the name and continued as Project Grudge. When Grudge ended, they said, "Well, here's our final report on Grudge. We're not going to investigate anymore." And they continued with Project Blue Book. Blue Book eventually evolved into a debunking agency, a, a public affairs debunking agency. But they kept telling us, "We stopped the investigation." But they continued on under another name. So in 1969, they said, well, we've stopped the investigation. But clearly, they've continued it under, under Project Moondust, which we know about, until the mid-1980s. We just don't know the code name of the new project. So that's an interesting way to get out of something. You rename it so the previous investigation doesn't exist because it's known under a new name. But if you don't know the new name, you can't find it. Oh, well. Kevin yeah. Randall wrote a book called The Government UFO Files, The Conspiracy of Cover-Up. You're on with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Free from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers. G-C-N. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com we all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems 
system today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. Today is an important day. It's your day to be ready, take care of your family, and buy your emergency food supply from the Freeze-Dry Guy. Because today, the Freeze-Dry Guy introduces our Mountain House and Packaway one-month food supply. Today, get the Freeze-Dry Guy's 30-day premium unit, normally $364, sale priced at $263, save $101. Buy two cases, normally $727, sale priced at $506, save $222. Or choose three 30-day premium units, normally $1,091, now only $748, save $343 from the freeze-dry guy. These premium units are packed with the highest quality Mountain House entrees, meats, vegetables, and Packaway brand freeze-dried pineapple and dehydrates such as milk, ABC stew, and rolled oats. 289 half-cup servings. Go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. Free shipping to the lower 48. Hurry! Our Mountain House and Packaway one-month supply sale ends soon. So call now. 866-404-3663. Springtime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know spring is the time to stock up at HerbalHealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for spring specials, including our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, Hootia and Metabolic Complex, and ProMetabolic, all on sale now. Also, the Anti-Parasite Intestinal Freedom and Warwood Plus Complex, plus Stevia Liquid Sweetener and the Super Enzymes, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and click on Spring Specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. So listeners, we've been asking your questions of Kevin Randall. His book is The Government UFO Files. You're on with Gene and Chris. Chris, any other questions we could follow through with at this point? Well, we do have one from Bonzo4880, uh, who just joined on Monday. And um, I'm not sure, Kevin, if I want to ask you this, but because uh, I know it's going to open up a can of alien worms here. But what do you think about Dulce and Phil Schneider? Oh my lord! And they, and they just did that on the on the. Uh, I, I saw that on History Two this morning. Just saw that. I just do not believe the tale. I don't think there's any good solid evidence that that his story is true. I, I just don't. I just don't buy it. I've been. Well, what about Anthony Sanchez and his uh, Colonel X and this uh, UFO Highway book that he he released a number of years back that that attempts to I guess re jumpstart this whole uh, underground base at Dulce uh, scenario. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Colonel X and, and that whole scenario? Well, here, here's the problem, Colonel X. You know, who is this guy? Was he really a military officer? Um, we, can't, we can't verify anything about him. 
And 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 the sad thing I've I've found is we can we can verify military credentials of of anybody. It's it's not that hard to do. I keep waiting. Yeah, it's called a DD two fourteen. <laughs> well, not even that. If okay, you're you're living you're living wherever the hell you are, and somebody says, "Well, I'm this military guy, and I know this, that, and the other thing." You can file a request with the uh, in St. Louis, which is where the military records are held, and they will release to you all parts of the guy's military record that are public information: awards and decorations, military schools. Uh, Ranks, ranks they achieved, all the, uh, some very good information. So if a guy says, well, I was a military officer, I did this, that, and the other thing, and you write to him, he says, well, no, uh, we have no record of this guy. Or they say, or they say yes, here is the guy's record, and it turned out he'd been low-ranking enlisted man. Well, you know, there's, there's something that suggests that uh, maybe we shouldn't accept this guy's tale. This is what happened with Robert Willingham and the, um, the uh, crash in Del Rio in, in 1950. He, uh, he originally said it was 1948. He then said it was 1950. Then he said it was the mid-1950s. I found in the MUFON Journal in 1968, March of 1968, it's the, called Skylook at the time, but on page three of it, there was a paragraph from this guy, and it, he was a CB, CAP lieutenant colonel. Nothing about this, and the story is completely different than, than what he tells today. So I, I went to the uh, archives in St. Louis, and got his military record and found out that he'd served from December of 1945 to January of 1947. And that's his whole military service. So he couldn't have been a fighter pilot. He couldn't have been a retired, he wasn't a retired uh, Air Force colonel. All that stuff was wrong. Well, that just kills the credibility of the story. That's something that's very simple to do. But you have to have the names of the guys to do it. So if you're yeah. talking like a Colonel X, you cannot verify the information. And if you can't verify it, your best course of action is to disbelieve it until you can find some verification from independent sources. And that's the other thing that trips us up periodically is we think it comes from independent sources and it's all traceable back to a single source. Well, you know, when you says Colonel X or something, I think of Commander X from Tim Beckley, one of his house names, Colonel B, <laughs> Commander X. These are just pseudonyms. So you wonder maybe he adapted it from that. There's any number of stories that came from allegedly high-ranking military officers, and almost universally, I'm unable to verify their military service or their high ranks. Steve Wilson was another one who came out with some really great stories and said he'd been in the Air Force for 39 years. And the, the thing that caught me is, says, well, he had 13 good conduct medals. And I'm looking at that, and I said, well, whoever wrote this knows that you get a good conduct medal for every three years of service. But officers don't get them. Only enlisted people get them. So a guy who'd served for 39 years as, as an Air Force officer would not have 13 good conduct medals. He'd have none because they expect good conduct from the officer. So you don't get rewarded for it that way. And looking at it, you know, there's no record of, of his military service. It just doesn't make any, any sense. And, and we go through this time and time again in the UFO field particularly. Or the guy's got a pseudonym. Well, there's no way to verify it. And until we can get the independent corroboration, you know, our best course of action is to say, well, that's an interesting story, but let's see if we can verify it. And with some of these tales of hidden bases and uh, underground bases and all that, we just cannot get the independent corroboration to verify them. How do we combat all this uh, tenuous kind of, you know, vaporous information that's touted to support you know the latest version of you know some sort of controversial claim uh, i mean this is something that is going to haunt this field forever 
unless we can come up with a, a formula with which uh, to keep these stories, you know, under wraps or at least out of the public eye until they can be verified. I mean, what about checks and balances in the field of ufology? Is there any hope? No, because belief structure in, in gets, gets, comes into play, as does the Internet. The Internet's really, really crushed any, any attempts at, at verification. I did a um, paper, a long, long paper some 14 years ago, in, in an attempt to set up a peer review among UFO researchers. And I looked at the Mantell case, Mantell being the Air National Guard pilot who was killed chasing a flying saucer. Uh, and, and I looked at all kinds of aspects of this. I mean, I went into um, uh, apoxia and hypoxia and how it affects the human body and how long you can remain conscious at these extreme altitudes without oxygen and all these factors that played into the Mantell case, hoping to set an example. You know, here's what I did. Here's the research. Um, uh, um, um, what's his face up in Canada? Chris Earl Bruce Knapp, no, no, Earl Bruce Knapp put oh. it on his UFO updates for comment from our peers in the hopes of inspiring others to look at other cases in a similar fashion where we could all comment on it, as you would in a peer review journal, for example. And, and, and it worked to an extent, but nobody ever created a second paper on some other aspect of the UFO field to do the same thing. And, and that, that's one of the things we need to do is kind of come up with some way of peer reviewing stuff. But every, and, and that was kind of one of the things in the, in the um, government UFO files. I tried to provide the information so that you could verify it yourselves and suggest that we need to, we need to uh, independently verify this information before we went off on a tangent. But anybody with a computer can publish anything on the Internet at any time about anything so there's no yeah and it can go viral much to our horror immediately immediately and 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 i mean ufo footage being being um uh, uh used today coming surfacing today is virtually useless because any 12 year old kid with a computer can produce an outstanding ufo movie and there's there's little you can do to verify the circumstance unless you know there's a wide range of witnesses who saw it at separate locations and are not related to the initial poster of that specific uh, piece of video. So it's, it's very difficult to do, but the thing we have to do as serious researchers is look at this stuff and say, you know, okay, that's interesting. I don't believe it. And here's why. And, and usually the reason is we have no independent verification for it. And that kind of comes back to the question that was being asked, you know, what do you think of this guy and his underground bases at Dulce? And the, the answer is there's no, there's no independent verification for it. Um, I know of a number of documentaries that have gone out to the Archuleta Plateau in New Mexico looking for the signs that people said were there of the tunnel entrances and all that, and they've never found anything. And, you know, serious researchers have done it. Documentary crews have done it. They've, they've worked with the Apache Nation and just been unable to find anything to verify this. Does that mean it's not there? Well, probably it does, but the, the, the point is we have no verification for it now, so we have to look at that a little bit askance. Oh, we're always looking at scans in the UFO field. We always have to wonder no, whether... skanks. I, I think... Uh... <laughs> you think so? Oh, well. The book is called The Government UFO Files, The Conspiracy of Cover-Up. And as you see, just going through this is like going through a swamp of information, misinformation, 
trying to figure out what's going on. And certainly Kevin Randall is one of the best out there to trudge through this and try to go through this and try to figure out what might be going on. Kevin D. Randall joining Gene and Chris for one more segment. You're in the Paracast. Nation's largest independently owned and operated talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network, GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. You've talked about it for a while. Now it's time to get your family the emergency readiness pack it deserves. And there's one site to turn to, TopPackGear.com. From large to small, you'll find kits for every purpose, and all of them can be customized by you. TopPackGear.com offers the best pre-built packs the Internet has to offer, assembled using only high-quality products vetted by pros and chosen for the best balance of quality and value. Prepare, endure, prevail with TopPackGear.com. How many good people procrastinate? When was the last time you updated your last will and testament, your living will, and your health care power of attorney? If you could get these documents included with your Legal Shield membership for no additional charge, wouldn't it just make sense to have the peace of mind of owning a Legal Shield membership? Worry less and live more with lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. That's 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335. 
Ted Anderson telling you about Jordan Rubin's Beyond Organic Green-Fed Raw Cheddar Artesian Cheese featuring whole milk created through ancient dairy breeding, unpasteurized, untreated whole milk on the same farm the cows graze, containing natural sources of omega-3s, CLA protein, calcium, probiotics, and enzymes. I have never tasted cheese this good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris, we have one more segment with Kevin Randall exploring his book, The Government UFO Files, trying to make sense. And as you see, anytime you get involved in things involving governments, it's in a swamp. What about other countries, Kevin? Are we all in this conspiracy together around the world? Would you think some second-grade dictator somewhere in some unknown country might say, you know what, I'm going to reveal the secret. I don't care about those people in the U.S. and Russia. That's happened in the past. Um, The prime minister of Grenada in the 1980s, I think, announced that he believed UFOs were real. But the problem is they don't provide any evidence. It's not necessarily a conspiracy among the governments to keep this stuff secret. It's in the national security-specific governments to keep it secret, so they just follow in that. If it was in their best interest to release the information, we'd be talking about that. Um, Nick Pope, in his in his book on uh, Rendlesham Forest with John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, for example, talk about the uh, British study of UFOs and what their conclusions came to and how it sort of mirrored uh, the Condon Committee report, uh, overlooking evidence, ignoring evidence, and that sort of thing. Uh, we've got we've got some interesting cases out of South America. I talked to the pilot who had flown an intercept on a UFO, and, and he fired on it. And so I asked him the question that everybody everybody assumed, but nobody had asked him, which was, you know, he said they fired, he fired on it without results. And I said, well, did you hit it? You know, if you missed it, it's no, there's no results. And he said, no, they hit it. He hit the machine gun bullets, hit it, and bounced off. And so we've, we've, got, we've got some very good stuff like that. But, you know, in the United States, we're very American-centric. And so we, we tend not to believe um, that, that these other nations' uh, research would be as good as ours. So we, we, we often ignore what they have to say or what the researchers have to say from these countries. And they produce some extraordinary UFO cases uh, out of all, all parts of the world. We just, we just tend to ignore them here. Uh, and, and, and here's an interesting point. On the Rendlesham Forest case, the uh, Bentwaters case, where the United States Air Force supposedly saw a UFO land in the Rendlesham Forest in, in Great Britain, 
And the United States says, well, the UFO landed on British soil, so it's not our concern. And the British said it was investigated by Americans from the base, so it's not our concern. So the two governments are, are fighting one another to stay away from this as, as much as they can, trying to palm it off on the, uh, on the other government. So there's a lot of that kind of nonsense going on as well. Speaking of nonsense or not nonsense, okay, so you believe that the Roswell crash was real. Do we have any other spaceships on ice somewhere? I'm, I, there are some other interesting cases. Shag Harbor, for example, in 1968, which, by the way, happened during the Condon Committee, uh, and their, their investigation uh, involved a phone call to Canada, Shag Harbor being in Canada, uh, and deciding it was just a bunch of teenagers made a report and they weren't going to investigate it. This is an object seen in the sky, fell into Shag Harbor, created some kind of disturbances that went down. American military forces responded at the, at the invitation of the Canadians. Canadian military forces responded. Apparently Soviet military forces responded in some fashion. The thing was underwater for seven or eight days and, and, and finally, finally left the area, so I'm sure it counts as a crash. There's a picture of the thing in the air that Don Ledger and Chris Stiles had found. They found police officers who witnesses. They found documentation from various elements of the Canadian government about this case. So here was a case where they didn't recover anything, but there's some very interesting evidence, multiple chains of evidence, including the photograph, the testimony, and, and the documentation. So there are things like that out there. We just need to seek them out and, 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 not, and not sensationalize them because we're dealing with an alien race, and that, that's sensational enough, I would think. Also, I would think that at some point in time, if they've been here all these years, whether it's one race or many races, wouldn't they show some more evidence of their intent, or are we so low on the evolutionary scale that it doesn't matter to them? I always talk about the prime directive from Star Trek, which was uh, not... Which, of course, they break all the time, like in the last Star Trek film. Well, yeah, I just wasn't... Well, I, the last one counts. I'm sorry. Star Trek Into Darkness? You don't think it counts? Uh, and, and the Star Trek one before that, that, I mean, they reinvent the characters and all kinds of stuff. The only good part was they showed Kirk living in Iowa, which was kind of fun for us in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Well, the movie starts out with them uh, stopping a volcano from erupting and destroying the civilization. Well, anyway. Uh, and in the first film, by the way, so, for example, Captain Kirk's father is really Thor. The actor who plays Thor. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's really. The, well, the, the the thing, the thing that, the thing that bugged me about that the first movie was, uh, the, Kirk is a cadet, in essence, on on the Enterprise. The captain leaves to go off on his away team or whatever. He leaves Kirk in charge. I don't think so. I'm well, well of course they're trying to kind of I shortcut everything. Also, in terms of performances. I think Zachary Quinto is a really good actor. As Spock, he looks the role, but he's not Leonard Nimoy. And that was so painfully obvious when you saw them <laughs> together. Yeah. And you realize the personality and the brilliance that Leonard Nimoy brings to this role that he's played for, what, 45 years or something. And now you've got this young whippersnapper, and he doesn't quite cut it. Well, just remember, my favorite role from Leonard Nimoy was his role in Them, the giant ant movie from the 1950s. Right, I forgot he was in that. Yeah, he's some sergeant comes up and says, uh, when, these, when, when, when uh, 
uh, uh, people see UFOs, Texans will see them bigger and better or something. That was his whole whole role in that movie. <laughs> One but, of my favorite sci-fi films. <laughs> oh, well, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, too, but Spock was Well, yeah, that. of course. <laughs> Well, that's the one that Major Kehoe never lived down. Yes. Earth versus the Flying Saucers. But but, but, um, the the, the prime directive, of course, they never never, um, stuck to. They were always interfering. And in anthropology here, we have sort of the same thing. Don't interfere, just observe. But by the mere observation, you're interfering. Um, I think think part of of the alien's prime directive is to confuse us as much as possible Without getting caught, <laughs> or or there was a marvelous movie called Morons from Outer Space. Okay, they- folks, you ready for this? This is one of the early Leonard Nimoy films. He plays a villain in the film, actually a movie serial called Zombies of the Stratosphere. Okay, from well, really 1952. Okay, wow. guys, stop it right there. That's one of the <laughs> earliest films. He also played on the original Dragnet, by the way, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, and on Sea Hunt. Yeah. This guy has got this amazing career before he became Spock. But in those cases, of course, nobody knew who he was. He was an invisible right. actor, just another character actor. Listen, we're just about out of time, Kevin Randall. Yeah. Tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff and give yourself a heavy plug for your blog. I love it. Well, the, the book... Government UFO Files is available on Amazon.com. Feel free to download it as a, a Kindle book. And if you like the book, give it a review. If you don't like the book, give it a review, because I sometimes find the negative reviews better for um, deciding whether or not I want to buy a book. Uh, I've, I've used the negative reviews to decide whether or not to buy a book in the past. So Amazon.com, it's available in hard, or not hardback, but in hard copy uh, at your local bookstores. The blog is called A Different Perspective. If you type my name into the search engine, it'll come up like the first or second entry. Uh, If you type A Different Perspective in there, you'll get it. It's at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I I just put something up uh, a couple of hours ago. That was the one on MJ-12 that we've been discussing. So you can read the original source material, go back to the original article in Open Minds and get more information about it. Let me tell you here, Chris O'Brien has this book called Stalking the Herd. He thought I'd forget it, but I didn't. (laughs) And let me tell you this. If you go to OurStrangePlanet.com, that's OurStrangePlanet.com, and you order the book directly from Chris, number one, You're not giving Jeff Bezos the profits at Amazon. You're giving the profits and all the money to Chris. And he'll thank you for it by autographing that book for you. Numbered and signed. Oh, wow. A numbered copy. So this way, when you're 100 years old, you can sell it off on eBay and make tons of money. You can check us out on Twitter. We're known as The Paracast. We are The Paracast on Twitter. We're also on the GCN network at GCNlive.com. Or go to our web portal at theparacast.com. Kevin Randall, thanks for joining us on The Paracast. Thanks for the opportunity. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.